You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. You can be seated. Welcome this morning. Can we say thank you to our band for just leading us this morning? Um, If you have your Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. If you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and do that. If you have it on your phone, go ahead and open your Bible on your phone to Luke chapter 6. I will tell you that if you don't have a Bible and you're not able to follow along, it will be difficult to follow along, (laughs) to understand what we are saying, because what is happening right now is I want to teach you through the Scriptures, okay? That's what our goal is right now, is to just teach you what the Bible says, for you to understand what's actually happening in the Scriptures, in the Bible, and for you to understand what God is doing, what it means, and for you then to be changed by it, okay? So if you don't have a Bible with you, once again, it will be hard. Um, That's our textbook, so maybe like steal the person next to you's Bible or uh, continually look along with them, okay, the whole time. You guys are going to get real close uh, to each other uh, today. So what we want you to do is is follow along with us. Um, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36 are going to be the verses that we're reading today. We're going to walk through particularly verses 29 through 36 as we looked at verses 27 through 28 last week in this section. We are making our way through the book of Luke. That's our series right now. It's taken us a while and it will take us a while longer, okay? This is going to be a long haul through the book of Luke. Um, As we're making our way into this today, I want to tell you one of the most difficult topics for us as human beings is how we react when people wrong us. When people treat us wrong, how do we respond and how can we respond rightly? That's a difficult thing for us to embrace is when we feel that we're mistreated, ill-treated, wronged, not, uh, not cared for rightly. How do we respond to someone like that? Yesterday, I was at uh, the pumpkin patch with my family. My family's here from Chicago. And it was a wonderful day at the pumpkin patch until we got to, well, it was still was a wonderful day, but we, it was a little hiccup uh, for me as we were um, at the uh, zip line, right? And um, there really are no lines, so you can't really get in line, okay? You just figure out your way to make it to the zip line. And I remember uh, yesterday just uh, an interaction with, with a lady who was upset that we, that we cut her in line. And in that moment, I had to think about how I would respond to someone um, responding in an ill-fashioned way to, to me or to my children. And this verse was in my, my head. Not that I respond perfectly, but this passage was in my mind. The idea of what God was teaching me through this, because I knew I had to teach it today, was in my mind. And that was, um, what benefit is there to you if you love those who love you? Even the sinners do the same. But God is calling us to to a unique love, to look towards the benefits of knowing Jesus and to be able to love those who, in response, don't love us. And so God is calling us to this today. I want to tell you specifically in this passage that this is the context is for those who are believers in Jesus Christ being ill-treated or persecuted by those who are non-believers in Jesus Christ. This might not be a reality to you currently, but maybe it will be in the future. Maybe our culture is heading in that way, in that direction, but this was a very serious reality to new Christians to the Jewish people in a a Roman province, in the city of of Jerusalem, or in Israel, uh, for those who have believed in Jesus for the first time, they were being mistreated by the Jews and by the Romans for how they believed in Jesus Christ. And so this is a very real subject, and Jesus is telling them, this is how we're going to respond. This is how we're going to respond to those who mistreat 
us because of our faith, right? Or because of your faith in me. And so today I want to pray and then we're going to read and I'm going to just teach this to you. Remember, I'm just talking through this. My goal is to expose the scriptures and to explain what's really here and allow God to work in your life as I do. But before we move into that, I want you to think to yourself for just a moment. Who in there is, uh, who is there in your life who's maybe mistreating you because of your faith? Or maybe your stance on truth or doing things the right way because you want to honor Jesus in your life and, and maybe you're not being treated right. Or maybe you're being taken advantage of. Or maybe you're being uh, mocked or made fun of because of your faith in Jesus. How should you respond to that? Well, Jesus tells us today that it's this kind of upside down love. It's a very shocking love. It's a love that the world doesn't know because it's a love that comes from God. And so I want to pray that God would teach us today to love like he loves, like he calls us to, even in the face of persecution. Let's pray and ask God to do this in our hearts, and then we're going to read, okay? Father, thank you so much for this time together. We have a lot of work to do in the next 45 minutes or so. I pray that you would teach us through your word, that you would help us to understand the context of this passage, help us to understand the information of it, Help us to really get a grip on its meaning and so that our lives would be changed as we understand it. I pray, God, that we would be people who follow you and in following you, even when we're maybe mistreated because of our faith, looked down upon because of our faith, spoken um, in an ill way because of our, our faith, spoken about in an ill way because of our faith, mistreated, uh, mocked, or, or even uh, ridiculed because of our faith, because of our commitment to you, um, even because you call us to be a, a, a humble type of heart. God, when we're mistreated because of our faith, I pray that we would respond in love like you call us to today, and that you would teach us about this. God, we know that what's at stake here is that other people would see this kind of love and understand that it comes from you, and so that they too would trust in you. And be saved. And so, God, we understand that this isn't just about how we act, but this is us being representatives of you. And so, God, I pray that you would teach us this today and we'd be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. Remember, we're going to read this and talk through it again. So, you need your Bible in order to do this. Verses 27 through 36. Here we go. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those, who from, um, lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. And do good to those and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. What we've been seeing so far in the book of Luke is an upside down kingdom. Jesus is showing us an upside down way and when I say upside down I mean upside down from the world. Right? It's really right side up. This is the way in which God is and what his character is like. But this is upside down from a world who we seek our own good. And, and we have a sinful nature. And we um, seek uh, what's most beneficial for us. And so God's love is upside down. It's really right side up, but it's upside down to the world. And Jesus has been showing us this upside down nature of this kingdom. You see, what this does is shows us what God is really like. Listen, you ever think about this? When Jesus came into the world in this manger scene, right, in a way in which you would not expect the king of the universe to come into the world, what is your initial response? Well, you might not even have identified it in your mind, but this is what you're thinking. This is what you're thinking. Well, that's the kind of God he is. One who comes in a humble and a hidden way. That's his 
kind of love towards us. And so what Jesus has been doing through the book of Luke in, in pursuing us through love is showing us what kind of God he is. When he lives a certain way, when he acts a certain way, when he loves a certain way, when he speaks a certain way, you understand this is what God is like. And so Jesus has been loving us in this upside down way in order to show us what he is like. Now listen, this is important. Because when we understand what God is like, we say to ourselves, man, that's a good God. I want God. And then God says, okay, let me get your sin out of the way through the gospel. And here's how you come back into relationship with me. You see, the end of all things is fellowship with God. That's why God created you. In love, as a, as a father would create a child, I want to create these people to enjoy me. He's the, he's the greatest of all beings, and he says, I want to create these people, and I want to be in fellowship with them, and I'm going to be joyful at their joy in me. And so what he's doing is he's now pursuing these people out of love to help people come back into a relationship with this God. So he's showing what he is like to these people. Now listen, let me tell you that the gospel message is the very essence of an upside-down love. In every other religion in the world, it is you get yourself to God through trying hard enough or your own works. The gospel is totally upside down. It says God is going to get you back into relationship with God through coming and paying for your sin himself. This is upside down. This is upside down to the world, but it's the greatest love there is. God himself paying for our sins and him showing us his character of love through this way. Listen, here's what is upside down. Look at this, Romans 2, 4. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Now listen to this. This is how God loves us. He shows us his kindness, his mercy, his love, and in that love, that leads us to say, I want to obey God. Doesn't that seem upside down? Like you would think mercy, grace, love would just allow leniency, and then everyone would do whatever they want. But instead, when you see God's love and his mercy and his kindness and his grace, you say, I want that God to love me like that. And you come to know God. And so this is an upside-down love that people would turn to him and for salvation. Now listen, Matthew 5 through 7 and Luke chapter 6, we see this episode of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone, you know, from the Bible stories growing up, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, right? That's what we're in right now. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's continuing his idea of what true believers in Jesus look like, act like. And it's upside-down. It's upside-down to the world. You ever notice that Christians are called to live upside down to the world because we're called to live like God? And let me tell you, this isn't just because he wants to make you good people. Again, listen close, ready? He wants you to be representatives of him. And so when you live in a way in which, which shows what God is like, people see what God is like. It's very simple. And when they see what God is like, they say, man, I want a love like that. I want a God like that. How do I get that God? Well, let me tell you, through Jesus Christ, who secured your way and allowed you to come back into relationship with God. And so when Jesus is telling us to love like this, it's not just so we're good people. It's so that we can represent to the world what he is like and his kingdom can advance. So listen, in this Beatitudes, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount that we just read, this passage, this section that we just read, let me tell you, we are called to live as those who love like God so people would see God, come to know God, and enjoy fellowship with God, which is the very reason why everyone is created. So last week, what we saw was that this love, as we represent him, doesn't look like the world's version of love. Here's what it says in verse 27. We're called to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate, to bless those who curse, and to pray for those who who abuse. So plain and simple, true disciples of Jesus who have salvation in his name are called to live like him so that we would have we would experience fellowship with him and being like him and showing other people what he is like. Now listen, as we've seen this, this is hard to do. This is hard to do, but it's necessary for people to come to know Jesus. So here's what I want to tell you once again. This isn't just for you to live a moral life. It's because how else will people know about God? 
This is how you represent him. Look at this in Romans 10, 14 through 15. How will they call on him whom they uh, have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him and whom they've never heard? And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who go and preach the good news. How else will someone else know what God is like and how to come into a relationship with God and the love of God that surpasses all understanding, understand his love, his character, and say, I want that God. I want fellowship with that God. I want to enter into a relationship with that God. I want to be like that God unless you represent God. And tell them about God. So this upside down love is the way in which Jesus' kingdom moves forward. Now, as we're moving into our passage of today, I want you to look at your Bible. Look at verses 22 and 23. Here's what we see in which Jesus says very particularly that we should love people um, who treat us in a certain way. Look at verse 22. He says this, Blessed are you when people hate you. And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so the fathers did to the prophets. Listen, what happened was the prophets were treated wrongly for standing for truth and representing God, but they did so anyway in faithfulness in order to teach people how to know God. And Jesus is teaching us this upside down way. Like, does that make any sense? You're blessed in the most favorable position. You, you should rejoice and be glad when you're treated wrong because of how you represent Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. That's upside down. But what it means is that you're standing for the truth and you're truly showing people what God is like. He goes on. Look at, jump down to verse 26 of that same section. Here's the opposite. It's the parallel of the verse we just read, but it's the opposite. It's in the opposite way. He says, actually, woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. So the false prophets didn't show a true picture of what God was like, and so people spoke well of them because sometimes the God of the Bible is offensive to those who don't believe, right? And so the truth of the matter is we will be mistreated if you show people the truth, if you teach people the truth, and if you show people what God is like. But what Jesus is saying, verse 27, look at this. He starts verse 27 with a big old word, but... He says this, even when you're mistreated because of how you represent Jesus and truth, don't respond as how the world would respond. Respond in a different way that shows the world what God is truly like. So he says, listen, you will be mistreated when you stand for truth, when you treat people how God calls us to. Out of love, you'll be taken advantage of. You'll be not cared for. You'll be not treated rightly. But instead, we respond not out of hate and retaliation, but in love. In verse 27, look at also what it says. I say to those who what? Look at it. What does it say? Here. So he's talking to believers in Jesus, those who have spiritual ears to understand his truth and how we should be called to live and to treat those who mistreat us because of our faith. You know, this is, Jesus said this was going to happen. Look at verse uh, John 15, 18 through 20. It's on the screen. It says this. If the world hates you, these are Jesus' own word, words. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I have said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute who? You, us. That's what the Bible says. Even John 15, 25, look at what Jesus articulated. They hated me without a cause. He sought to love people, and they mistreated him and hated him because of that. So listen, Christian, here's the real question. Is when you're mistreated because of your faith, how are you called to respond? And the question is really this, those who do mistreat you, how do you get pe those people to buy into all of this? How do you get those people to see what God is like? How do you get those people to believe in God? How do you get those people to turn to God? How do you get those people to desire fellowship with God? How do you get those people to, enjoy, to want to enjoy God? How do you get those people to come to God? How do you get people to be happy in God? 
Those who are mistreating you because of your faith, and the answer is very simple. Jesus tells us plainly, ready? Love. That's it. This kind of love will lead those who are obstinate towards the faith, towards trusting in Jesus. So, here's what we're going to do. We saw the overall thesis of this section last week in verses 27 through 28. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now verses 29 through 30, what we're going to see are examples of this. He's going to give us illustrations of what this should look like. And then verses 31 through 36, we're going to see how do we maintain enough motivation to actually love like this when it's so hard, right? What should motivate us, okay? So we're going to see the actions, and we're going to see the motivation to love people when we're mistreated because of our faith, and in so doing so, represent what God is like so that people would want fellowship with him and want to receive that same love that we have received. Ready? Here's what we're going to do. Two points to walk through this section. Number one, verses 29 through 30, loving like Jesus, plain and simple, will involve upside-down actions. Upside-down actions. Verses 29 through 30, what we see in this passage is that loving like Jesus will involve upside-down actions. Now, as we see this, we understand, why am I saying loving like Jesus? Does Jesus describe here, hey, if you want to love like me? No, but this is the picture in which um, in, in how Jesus loves. This is loving like him. Jesus loved his enemies into salvation. We are called to love like this, to represent who God is, so that we would have fellowship with him and being like him and call people into this so that they would want to be in relationship with God. We're his representatives. And to love like Jesus does, it's going to involve upside down actions. Where do we see this? Well, follow along with me. Now's the time we're like, we're going through this Bible, okay? I'm going to teach it to you. Here we go. Verse 27, ready? I say to you, here's this thesis, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, right? This is this upside down way of living with the world who mistreats you because of your faith. This will show what God is like, and they will st your stand for truth will be an evidence that you're a true believer. But then what we see in verses 29 and following are some actions or some examples or some illustrations. There's four of them, okay? So there's four illustrations, four examples. What are these examples? Well, let's start walking through them. Verse 29. First, it says to the one who strikes you on on the cheek, offer the other also. That's the first illustration of how he's calling us to love. Now, what I want you to notice about this, look at verse 29. It says, to the one who. So this is not to anyone specific. This could be to the Romans. This could be about other Jews. But this, the only qualification for you being loved like this is that you strike a Christian on the cheek because of their faith, Right? This is the specific, this is the qualification. One who is being, going to be loved like this is one who treats Christians like that. That's upside down. But there's not anyone specific. It could have Romans in view, could have Jews, but it's not limited. It's one who is ill-treating Christians because of their faith. How then should we show them what God is like? How then should we respond as Christians to love them like Jesus does? Well, we're gonna see. But here's what it says. If they strike you, literally, to beat Hit, injure, sharp blow with a hand, with a foot, with a weapon to cause harm or to cause injury, right? That's a strike, okay? That's how people are treating Christians at this, at this time. It says, you, disciples of Jesus, here's how you should treat them. And we're going to see this. But he says, to the one who strikes you on the cheek. Now, in the Greek, literally, this is the jaw, okay? So to the one who punches you on the jaw, because of your faith, I'm about to tell you how you should respond to them. Now, I don't know if many of you guys um, like boxing, okay? I'm not really a big boxing fan. I just did some of it before I became a Christian, okay? In an, in an unofficial type of, of way, okay? And I, this is not what Jesus is advising, okay? Because he's advising us to love, not to be unloving, okay? But there's one thing that I do know for sure is that the jaw is... The jaw is the, the bullseye, okay? If you know anything about fighting, and I hope that you don't, you, you understand that the jaw is the bullseye. That's how people are knocked out. That's how people pass out, 
when the jaw is hit, okay? So as I'm thinking about this while I'm studying this passage, I'm thinking to myself, this is the idea of severity of harm. Like when there is a severity of harm being done to you as a Christian because of your faith, the natural reaction would be to retaliate. Retaliate. That's the natural reaction. But God is not calling us to, being, to be natural. He's calling us to be upside down. Now, this isn't literal. We understand that Jesus is not saying to do this literally, and I'm going to tell you why. Side note here, some people say, well, if you can't take this literally, how can you take the Bible literally, like Noah and the ark, etc.? Well, that doesn't really line up because, listen, God communicates just like we communicate. We're made in his image. Sometimes you speak in literal sense. Sometimes you speak as an example. Sometimes you speak metaphorically. And so God does the same, right? He's not limited to. He's not in a box. And so we're going to understand what he means by this. But what he's saying here is if someone strikes you on the jaw, offer or continue to be, literally, another entity given to this person. Meaning, like, allow this, allow yourself to be hit again. That's what this is literally saying. And the reality is, is that's because what's in, lo- what's in view here is that you would love them into the kingdom and show them the love of God. The gospel is in, in, in view here. You care about their soul more than you care about retaliation. That's what Jesus is alluding to here. It's an attitude, but it's an attitude of an action. And what he's alluding to here, again, is no retaliation, but instead an attitude of caring for their soul in love above everything else, right? Luke 18, 22 through 23. Look at this. Let me show you. This is not, again, literally like here's what you have to do. Turn the other cheek um, because then Jesus would be disobeying his own command. Look at this. Luke 18, 22 through 23. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by and they struck Jesus with his hand or they punched Jesus in the face. Is that how you answer a high priest? They said to Jesus. And Jesus answered him, if what I said was wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? So if Jesus is literally telling you every time that you're struck or, or hurt physically because of your faith, then you should literally turn the other cheek. Then Jesus would be disobeying his own command. But instead here, the principle is further. It's a pursuit in love, caring for the soul, an attitude that doesn't look towards retaliation, but is willing to be hurt for the sake of loving the other person into the kingdom of God. That's what he's alluding to here. And he clarifies this again in the next point. So we move from the strike to the cloak. Verses, verse 29, look at this. He says, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, ready, do not withhold your tunic either. Again, there's no one specific he's alluding to except to the one who either strikes you or takes away your cloak, right? That's the qualification for this person being loved by you in a way that Jesus loves. And so what is he saying here? Well, he's saying the same thing that he said above about the strike regarding retaliation, Do not withhold your tunic. So literally what this is meaning here is, if someone takes your coat, offer him your shirt as well. Okay. Now this might not make any sense to you, but the idea is the same regarding retaliation, and I'm going to tell you why, because of the context of what this really means. Okay. So what we understand is that the Jewish Christians, the Messianic Jews at this time, were mistreated because of their faith in Jesus. One of the ways in which they would be mistreated would be called being unsynagogued, meaning thrown out of the synagogue because of their faith, right? And what would happen when you're thrown out of the synagogue is that you would be stripped and you would be whipped, stripped and whipped. And does anybody know what would that, how many lashes would that be? Paul received them. Yeah, 39 lashes, right? 39 lashes, 40 minus one. 39 lashes to the Christian who is following Jesus at this time. And so one of the things that we would see is that the way in which the Jews were persecuted would that be they would be stripped and thrown out of the synagogue. And so this is very real to them. And they're asking themselves, how do we respond when we're in these 
type of predicaments, being persecuted because of our faith. And all of what we understand here is that these true disciples are called to represent a love like God loves in order to show people what God is like so that people would want to have fellowship with God and these Christians would experience being like God. And so when they would be when they would be stripped and whipped, here's how they would respond. Now, going up uh, back to the last point for just a second, one of the ways that the, that the Roman guards or the Jewish uh, leaders would actually make this even more severe is that they would hit him in the face. That was a, like a, a huge um, way to disrespect or humiliate a Christian, is to hit him in the face after they were stripped and they were whipped, right? And so as we can understand now, this is all working together. This is the way in which indeed these Christians were persecuted. And we see this happen to Jesus. Once again, John 18, verse 22. Look at this. When Jesus had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, striking in the face with their hand, stripped and whipped. How should these Christians respond? Well, what we see is that they should respond in love, because what he says is, do not withhold your tunic either. Don't respond in retaliation. Be willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus. Now listen, this is probably where we get this idea from how they're stripped and whipped and Jesus is calling no retaliation to take place. But, and not giving what you think they deserve or getting anything in return. And here's the example. Look at this, John 18, 10. Here's another example. Remember when Simon Peter did this? Remember when Peter's having a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant's ear, and he cut it off, right? What'd Jesus say? Jesus said, listen, we don't, we're not going to function like that. We're not going to retaliate like that. That's not how we love the world. What did Jesus say? Put your sword in it, sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? He trusted God to complete his work by going to the cross and didn't retaliate when harm was done to him. Now listen. This is what happens is for the believer because the believer in Jesus cares about the soul of the person more than they care about retaliation or, or doing back what they think the other person deserves or getting back what we think that we deserve. Now, in comparison, listen, let me tell you, it's probably um, one of two things, either being unsynagogued, stripped and whipped, punched in the face that we get this context from, or it's something else. So I want to present to you the other, op- uh, the other thing, or it's both, right? So what we see here could be um, also the particular way in which they persecuted Christians, which we know is true, um, coming from this. Look at Exodus 22, 26 through 27. If you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body, and what else shall he sleep? And so what we understand is another way in which per- Christians were persecuted um, in, in the early times of first believers of Jesus Christ is that those who wanted to harm them would actually strip them of their cloak, strip them of their tunic, and leave them naked and cold. And so in this way is another opportunity for those who are being persecuted to love their persecutor and show the love of God. They would be stripped. Their cloak would be taken, their coat and their shirt. They would be cold. It snows in Jerusalem. Did you know that? And they would be naked. That's why Jesus was stripped naked on the cross. It was this way of humiliating him. Now look at this. Ready? Verse 27 of Matthew 27 and verse 28. They did the same thing to Jesus. Look at this. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And what'd they do to Jesus? What'd they do? They stripped him. Now look at what else they did with his clothes, John 19, 23 through 24. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments, his cloak, his tunic. They divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill what the scripture says, as they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. So this was a way of 
humiliating Christians. And Christians are being called to respond a certain way, and this way is to love, not in retaliation. Now, as we go down this list and we see these attitudes of actions that Jesus is calling us to, to represent him rightly and to call people into the kingdom so they would see this God and want fellowship, and you would have fellowship with God in being like him, we see two more examples, and these second two are very closely related. Look at verse 30. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them, what? Back. So listen, another way in which Christians were persecuted in this time was that they were taken advantage of financially because of their faith in Jesus. So this isn't just to the one who begs of you because they need money. These were chronic thieves who stole from Christians. Because remember I told you that this passage was the juxtaposition of the non-believer and the believer, not just if someone's mistreating you. Like This puts this in context for us. This is the one who's being mistreated because of their faith. Well, this context is supported throughout the whole passage. How do we know that? Well, because this is the way in which Christians were persecuted. Listen, non-Christians or people who were hating the Christian, they would know that Christians were not called to retaliate. They were called that they would know that Christians were called not to respond by demanding back their goods. So how easy would it be to take advantage of a Christian? Right? Or they knew that Christians were called to not demand anything in return if they were stolen from. So once again, let me steal from the Christian. And if I steal from the Christian, even if they find out that it was me who stole from them, they're not going to do anything in return to me. So this is like an easy steal, right? Well, this is what's happening here. Persecution because of their faith in the Son of Man. All the way still connected to verses 22 through 20. Three, the retaliation. It says this, don't demand back. Look at verse 30. Give to everyone who begs. So the one who could be taking advantage of you because you're a Christian. Give. Though you might be suspect to their persecution, give. This is the way in which Christ followers should love those who are persecuting them because of their faith. But then, even if they don't ask of you, they just take from you. It happened to early Christians, too, because, again, they know you're not doing anything in return, right? How easy it is to steal from a a Christian. Well, what does Jesus say to do? Don't retaliate. Don't demand them back. Matthew 26, 53 through 55. We're almost done with this first point. Look at this. Jesus shows an example of not retaliating. When Jesus was put up on the cross, look at what he said was possible. He says, do you not think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels like to take me off of this cross, to protect me? Like there is, you have no idea my cosmic power, right? But if I do this and I don't love you by going to the cross and dying for your sins, how then else will the scripture be fulfilled and how will you be saved? So love was the pursuit of souls over retaliation. And what we see there, here in all of this, is this is the purpose of kingdom love. Listen, church, really close, ready? God is calling you to love like him, even when you're not loved in return even when you're persecuted because of your faith. Because when doing so, you will show what Jesus is like. And by showing what Jesus is like, people will want the same love. You, they will say, however you're loved by God, you, I recognize that you love with an upside-down love, a unique love, and you're loving like that because you're obviously loved like that. And whatever kind of love you have from God, I want that love too. I want to be loved by God like you're loved by God, right? And so then they will pursue God in love because God will show them his love to them as well. And so what we're 
thing here is what we do is we get the opportunity to show people what God is like through loving like this, although this is upside down to the world, right? You might be hurt because of your faith, no retaliation, mocked because of your faith, coat and shirt taken, no retaliation, taken advantage of because of your faith, no retaliation, stolen from because of your faith, no retaliation. Instead, love, self-sacrifice so that people would know what God is like and have a relationship with him. Now, church, as we close this section, I want you to ask yourself, well, what is it going to take for me to love like this? How is this even possible for me to, to pursue others in love when I'm mistreated this badly because of my faith? And here's what I want to tell you. Ready? It's going to re- take you having a renewed mind. It's going to take you having a renewed mind, meaning that you're going to have to be transformed by God in your heart in order to love other people like this. How do I know this is true? Well, the Bible tells us this. Romans 12, 2, look at this. Do not be conformed to this world. Love like the world loves when it's, I love because I'm loved in return, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And right after he describes this, here's what he tells us to do. Look at this, verses nine through 21. Here is the renewed mind. Here's how the renewed, transformed mind acts, like this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Look at this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the renewed, transformed mind, church. Let me tell you the way in which your heart and your mind are transformed is very simple. It's by the word of God. As you spend time in God's word, the Bible, on a daily basis, God will change your heart and change your mind and change you into his image where you love like Jesus loves. Number one, loving like Jesus is going to involve upside-down actions. Number two, our shorter point, don't worry. (laughs) Loving like Jesus, number two, involves upside-down motivations. He closes this section by telling us how we're motivated to love like this. And it's pretty simple. To sum up, let me tell you, and then we'll walk through it briefly. The motivation here is not for personal gain. Personal gain would be why the love, why the world loves. Have you ever thought about this? If you love just those who love you, who are you really loving? Who? Yourself. If I love just for what I get in return, if I love just those who love me, then really I'm loving myself, I'm just loving myself through you. Right? But if I love you for you because I want what's best for you, then I'm loving you in the way that God has loved us. And so the motivation here is not for gain or for self. The motivation here is rather the satisfaction of you being like God. That's the Christian is satisfied when you act like God. It makes you happy in your heart because you want to be like God. The, 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 the motivation here is being recognized by God. He notices you. And says, that's how, that's how my, my follower lives. The, the motivation here is the assurance that you know God. And the, the motivation here is that you will one day be with God in all of eternity. There's a very different motivation here than you getting gain in return or reward here in this life. And that's how the world would see it. So let me show you. Ready? We're going fast through these. Verse 31. We start with the golden rule. Right? And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, this is like if you live by this, you really don't need any other words because this is a way in which 
Jesus simplifies this. But the motivation here is not that you love because of what you want in return. The motivation is you love for the interest, the best interest of the other because you would want the best interest for yourself. It's the same idea. The motivation is different than just getting reward right here, right now. It's an all-encompassing way. Look at verse 32. He goes on to, to show us very clearly. Ready? If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? So what we're seeing in these examples, listen, is that the motivation is a benefit. Now, you should stop and ask yourself. Stay with me. It's confusing. We're almost done. Listen, you should ask yourself this question. Wait a second. He just motivated me to love my enemies with a benefit. But two seconds ago, he was, mo- he was telling me to love my enemies without needing a what? Benefit. This doesn't align. Like he just told me, don't be motivated by personal benefit. And now he's here, he's telling you, love your enemies, be motivated by the benefit. This should not line up when you read this, right? The difference is the benefit is different from the benefit that the world looks to for this kind of love. The world looks to particularly what I'm going to get in return right here, right now. The benefit here is different, right? So then you should ask yourself, well, tell me what the benefit is so I can understand how to be motivated to love like this even when it's hard. Well, what we see is that there's a very clear juxtaposition here between the benefit those who love like this will receive and the sinner. Now, now we're getting clarity on this for a second. Stay with me. The sinner here, everyone's a sinner. He's not talking about everybody. He's talking about those who have not trusted in Jesus. The benefit that they will receive is different and inferior to the ones who love like this will receive. Not saying that you earn your salvation, but in a way that this is evidence that you have benefit coming. So church, stay with me. Ready? Your motivation is a benefit that will be different from those who don't know God. Okay? So now we're getting clarity, but we still need more. So let's keep going. Verse 33. Ready? He says the same thing. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? We're seeing still motivated by benefit. For even sinners do the same. So when I'm looking at a situation and I'm being mistreated because of my faith, I can say, man, it would be easy to only love those who love me, but I'm going to love them as well because I'm motivated by some kind of benefit. It's easy. But if I love those who don't love me and who mistreat me, I go in with humble love. I want this benefit more than I want to just be treated rightly by the other person right here, right now. So again, we ask the question, what is the benefit? Keep going, verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? There's credit now, uh, synonymous with benefit. Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. Again, the reward is different, right? But Here's his summary. Love your enemies and do good to those um, uh, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And here we go. Ready? Here's the benefit. We see this clarified. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For, the kind, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Let me tell you, that the benefit that we're looking to, to summarize for time's sake, is the satisfaction of knowing you're a child of God. It's the satisfaction of knowing that you're like God. You're merciful like he's merciful. It's the evidence I'm a child of God because he's empowered me to love like this and I'm obeying him. And it's looking to the reward that you will receive one day in heaven, which is to be with God. So God is your benefit in all cases. Listen to this. Here's how you love in the face of persecution. I don't need this reward of being treated rightly from the other person in order to love them rightly because I've got a greater reward. I have God. I get to be like God, and that's satisfying to me. I get God one day in heaven, and that's satisfying to me. And I have evidence that I am God's child by obeying him, and that's satisfying to me. Church, listen, when you see someone that you really don't want to see and they're mistreating you because of your faith and you say to yourself, man, I don't really want to love them. And then you think in your mind, well, what benefit is there 
if I only love those who love me, even people who don't know God do that. But I want to be recognized by God. I want to be like God. I want the confirmation, affirmation that I am God's child. And so to me, the benefit of being satisfied in being like God is more beneficial than to receive what I think is due me right here, right now on earth. This is your promise that causes you to obedience, to obey. Let me, we're finishing, but let me tell you, pro, the promises of God cause you to obey. When you trust this promise over trusting what you might feel in a situation, it empowers you to obey, right? Promise trusting empowers obedience, okay? So you're trusting this promise, there is great benefit to obeying God in this even when it doesn't feel right. But let me ask the same question I asked at point number one, and then we're done. What is this going to take? It's going to take a transformed mind, but it's also going to take one other thing. And in this particular instance, it's going to take humility. We see this in Scripture, that if you're going to love, expecting nothing in return, looking towards your reward, loving those who mistreat you because of your faith in order to represent God rightly to a lost world, it's going to take humility, because humility Bene, uh, looks to the benefit of, of another world rather than the benefit of this world. Look at this, Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition or conceit would be loving those who love you in return. Loving when you get in return what you think is just due. But instead, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Like, I want what's best for you. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So it's going to take humility to trust the benefits and promises of God and to love someone who's mistreating me because of my faith. But here's the promise, James 4, 6. Look at this. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You will get grace. So church, as we close, Jesus is calling us to love like him so that we represent him rightly. We get fellowship with him and being like him and others will see what he is like and we'll turn to Jesus. And how do we show them this? How should we respond when we're mistreated because of our faith? Well, we should respond with upside down actions, loving in the face of persecution. This is going to take a transformed mind. And we should respond with upside down motivations. The motivation that motivates us is being like Jesus, knowing God, and having him for eternity rather than receiving what we want here on this earth. This causes us to love like him and represent him rightly. My prayer is that you would, that you would love those around you even those who are mistreating you because of your faith. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and try to do a little bit with a lot of text. We could do so much more. I feel like I could be up here for multiple hours um, to explain this text. But what we know is that you have called us to a special kind of upside-down love to love those who mistreat us because of our faith, because it represents you. And this is how a world knows what our God is like. God, I pray that we would love in the face of persecution by loving those who even mistreat us. These upside-down actions and attitudes will, will require a transformed mind. So I pray that we would spend continual time in your word being changed by it. God, I also know that you are calling us to be motivated by something different than just earthly gain. That's how the world would be motivated to love, but you're calling us to look to something different. And this reward is to be with you forever. This reward is being like you and how satisfying that is. This reward is, is being recognized and noticed by you, the God of the universe whose eyes are on the humble. And I pray that we'd be so satisfied in, in the benefit. We would want the benefit more than we would want the earthly benefit. And so therefore we would obey and love those who even mistreat us. I pray that we'd be a people who do so and that by doing so we'd represent you rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.